We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Blue Light. New England standing QB Jimmy Garoppolo to 49ers. We believe we found the right guy. Garoppolo, quick pass, caught by Kittle, he dives, and he's in! Touchdown, 49ers! Kittle, he's gonna go! Touchdown! What is going on, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome to Striking Gold, your 49ers podcast on the Blue Wire Network. This week's episode is sponsored by, as always, BetOnline.ag. My name is Rob Lauder. I cover the 49ers for NinersNation.com. Joining me tonight, same guy as every other night, former NFL defensive back, and who would also like me to let you know that he would like to be referred to as a draft analyst, um, Eric Crocker. How's it going, bro? It's going good. It really felt good when the guy said that. He was like, draft analyst Eric Crocker, and I'm like, you know what? I kind of am a, a draft analyst. I like that. Well, dude, the amount of time you spent on Twitter breaking shit down and cutting up clips and, you know, pointing shit out, even if it is only wide receivers and DBs, like, dude, that that takes some serious fucking time, takes some serious effort, it takes some serious motivation, and all that. All that's all you really need to at least start to become a scout. Obviously, you have to learn what, what is good and what is bad, but, you know, like, you have all the makings. I, I guarantee you, you could, if you really, really, really pushed hard enough, you could probably work your way into an NFL front office. Yeah, you know, maybe, maybe one day. But during these quarantine hours, it's like, man, what else is there to do? Right. <laughs> I for, just sit at the house all day. Like, like, I do a little workout in the backyard, like lift a little bit of weights, and then it's like, all right, what do I do now? I guess I'll just kind of gloss over some of these prospects i guess <laughs> well and eric's over here doing the lord's work and breaking down draft prospects and i'm over here watching harry potter and the chamber of secrets and have you have you watched ozark no i haven't watched ozark is that where i need to be oh so you haven't watched any seasons no none, none of it zero. Oh yeah i mean if you're into that type of stuff it's ozark okay i'm just i'm looking at images i'm looking Netflix. at pictures Oh, I like the act, actor, both the actor and the actress in it. So that's what's it, what's the uh, in like two sentences? What's it about? They get involved in the cartel. Ooh, okay. Like he right. being an accountant for the cartel, and the whole time is kind of like either like kind of trying to make things right. Get I don't know if they're trying to get out or get in. They kind of get caught into it, and um. A lot. There's a lot that goes into it, but it, it's really a great show. Uh, the, yeah, season one, two. I think I think it's on season three now. Yeah, this is season three. So I, I've seen every episode. Well, I'm I'm two. Epi- I'm on episode nine of season three, so I have two more episodes of that, and then um, I'll be done. But great, 
great show. I'm pretty sure a lot of listeners will advise you to, to check it out. Man, it's on Netflix. Well, I mean, that would be a better way to spend my time than watching something I've already seen a hundred times. I'm a huge Harry, Harry Potter fan. I love Harry yeah. Potter. And it's just, I don't know. I can never like, I never feel bad about watching it again. So that's why I do it. And it's one of those things too, <laughs> where I've seen it so many times, like I don't have to pay attention to yeah. every moment of it. Like I could, you know, be watching that and then do something on my phone and not feel like I'm missing something. But I don't you know, think I've I'm, seen five minutes of Harry Potter. Well, then I'm going to go ahead and stop recording right now. We're going <laughs> to right here. <laughs> That's bullshit, Crocker. Is, is it is it on like Disney or something? I have Disney Plus. No, it's <laughs> it's it's not. It's they, there's I don't even, I don't think any there's any apps for for you to stream it. I could send you some website addresses of questionable legal status that would uh, have them all for you, but it's it's the the thing I love most about Harry Potter, and I'm sure somebody, <laughs> multiple people listening right now are rolling their eyes like, no, don't go down this road. <laughs> um, is it one? It stays with the same actors and actresses the whole time. So they start out they're like ten, and then it stays with them all the way into their twenties because there's eight movies. And by the end of the the eighth one, you're like so invested as long as you allow yourself to get wrapped up in it, you know. And and obviously it's about witches and wizards, wizards so it's not like to be taken too seriously, but by the end of it, I'm just so emotionally like wrapped up in it, and it's just it's an awesome experience. Like, how often do you get to watch eight movies all with the same actors and actresses, all the same story? You know what I mean? So yeah, not very, very rare, very rare, especially with them starting off as like little kids, and then like oh now they're adults, <laughs> you know? Right. Well, and that's the way the movies go too. In the beginning, the movies are very, very kiddish. They're they're kid appropriate, but by the end of the movies, when they're adults, the movies are almost adult like like yeah. you know like there's people are dying they're fighting a war like it's very serious at the end it's it's just cool to watch the evolution of it but so anyways i know you're here to listen to 49er stuff so i apologize the, the evolution for... of the 49ers right right and that's kind of what we're going to focus on um crocker and i have decided to or at least entertain the idea of kind of breaking down the 49ers past three years and the approach that Kyle Shanahan have John, and John Lynch have taken to rebuilding this roster. So we're going to be kind of evaluating every year um, over the next few weeks because uh, today we're going to start with 2017, their first year in control of the franchise. Um, and we'll just kind of talk about it. We're going to go through the 49ers transactions basically. And you can Google this. If you search 49ers transactions, um, I'm using the, the ESPN one right now because that one just seemed like the easiest to kind of read through. You can see every player the 49ers have signed, drafted, traded, any any transaction, any player that they've acquired over the past three years is on there. So we're just going to kind of go through and break it down. But before we do that, um, a lot making the rounds today on social media was an interview uh, with George Kittle. I think it was on First Take, ESPN First Take. Is that what it's called? Uh, I'm not a I'm not a big ESPN watcher these days. Um, I should be because I bought that special Disney Plus package where it comes with Disney Plus, ESPN Plus, and Hulu. So I should be partaking in ESPN Plus stuff. But So George Kittle was interviewed by the, the First Take crew, and he was kind of asked a lot of interesting questions. They did a pretty good job of, of, of filing through the questions. And I know, Croc, that you said you only really saw one of the clips that was making its rounds. Um, I think it was about him defending Jimmy Garoppolo, right? It was, yeah. Okay, so but he was asked a lot more than that. It was about a six and a half minute interview, and I'm I'm just gonna kind of run through it real quick. I'm not gonna spend a ton of time on it, but the first thing he was asked was, you know, how do you feel about the Super Bowl and and why do you think the game unfolded in the way it unfolded? And essentially, his answer was super straightforward, super simple. You know, the type of answer you would expect from somebody who just doesn't want to think about it, or doesn't want to talk about it. But he said basically said they made plays and we didn't. Like we didn't take advantage of the opportunities and they did. And, that, you know, that's a great way of saying it because that's really all it came down to was the fact that the 49ers were presented more than one opportunity to, you know, make a drive, kill the clock, um, you know, or, or put up points or any of those sorts of things. They were given plenty of opportunities and they just couldn't capitalize on. Them. So that one was, you know, fairly by the book, but it doesn't need to be a complicated answer all the time. Um, they also asked him about you know, Emmanuel Sanders of the Saints to Forrest Buckner to the Colts, you know, should you guys still be considered NFC favorites? And he was kind of, he just was kind of nonchalant about that too. Just basically saying that it doesn't really matter 
if we're the favorites because every year is an uphill battle. Every Sunday you have to win another game against a challenging group of opponents. And it didn't really start getting to the meat and potatoes of the interview uh, until they asked him about his catch versus the Saints. And they said, look, like when you're making a play like that, what is going through your head? What's going through your mind? Are you thinking like, oh, what I'm doing right now is something they're going to remember, people are going to remember, uh, you know, stuff like that. And he said that he, he, while he was in the middle of that play and while they were trying to tackle him, obviously it took like three guys to tackle him. He said he was thinking about doing the Marshawn Lynch uh, jump into the end zone, <laughs> <laughs> which is funny because that was against the Saints too. Um and he said he was thinking about doing the Marshawn Lynch jump in the end zone, but obviously he didn't get there, so he didn't get to get get to do that. Um, but it's it's kind of a funny thought. And he also said that they it's a common play, the, the play that that put him in that position to make that catch where he took it like forty something yards and got the Forty ers within field goal range. He said it's a common play in their playbook, and he said they ran it twice that week in practice, and he messed it up both times. Uh, he said it was an option route, depending on where the defender is. Um, you know, you can go inside or outside, or at the very least, you have two different routes. And he said he messed it up twice during practice, and then they called it in that game on fourth down. And despite the fact that he'd messed it up twice in practice, he said Jimmy was like, I'm throwing it to you but in the huddle. I'm throwing it to you. And he said he, he got it right, and obviously he caught it, and and, and the, the rest was history. But I thought that was a pretty interesting tidbit that the two would mess it up twice in practice, or at least George would mess it up twice in practice, but Jimmy would still have the – the confidence in him to be in the, with the game on the line. And what eventually ended up being, um, you know, the first round buy on the line, you know, that's kind of a, right. an interesting aspect. And then obviously the last thing they touched on was Jimmy Garoppolo and the fact that he, despite any success or despite the success that he's had, he's still considered kind of like a mediocre quarterback and somebody that, replaceable is kind of what they said. He's, he's basically replaceable and, and George kind of went off. I mean, he didn't, he didn't go off, but he was obviously like, right. He, he had no understanding of why anybody would think that he just basically rattled off all this stuff. He's like, look, dude, he took us to the Super Bowl the year after he tore an ACL. Um, he even threw it. He's like, he, he pancakes linebackers. I think he, George said, he thinks he's the best. And I think this is true too. He, I think he, at, in third down completion percentage or, or third down conversion yep. percentage, he was the best. I think he was the best in the league. Right, and and this everybody's always called that the money down, but it's funny that nobody, everybody wants to ignore that stat. He said he's a fantastic QB, a fantastic leader. He's like, look, you you the year before you got to see what we were like without him. We went from four and twelve to thirteen and three with him, and. He also talked about the fact that, uh, or Stephen A. basically stepped in because he felt like. Um, Molly was like kind of like subtweeting him, like saying like about these people that don't believe in Jimmy G because apparently Stephen A is one of them. And he said, look, you know, the the only thing I have to say about hates He hates Jimmy Garoppolo. I don't want to say hates, but he definitely has a lot to say and calls him like Jimmy G string, like says it like in a sarcastic way, Um, talks about how, uh, not to cut you off, I know you're going to finish, but I I know you don't really watch the show. So you probably don't really know like kind of what he says, but he definitely um, kind of puts down what Jimmy Garoppolo does for the team on a consistent basis, even like with the win against the Saints. I mean, he, he was like, oh, that's impressive, but I still think he's not. You know, it's just like he always has something to say about Garoppolo. So when she's saying that, she's definitely talking about him. But go ahead. Well, and, and so that's when Stephen A. stepped in and basically said all the things you just said. And what his biggest thing was normally in, in, in teams that have elite quarterbacks, the quarterback is the first reason that's listed as for why that team has found success. And he says, well, on the 49ers, Jimmy G is like my fourth or fifth reason for why the 49ers would have success. He's like, well, you got that D-line, you got that secondary, you got George Kittle, you got Kyle Shanahan's play calling. And then you have Jimmy G, where I would say, you know, is a reason for their success. And basically Kittle's like, dude, it's not his fault that this team was – that's why they went to the Super Bowl. This team's just chock full of elite talent. Like you have five first-round picks on the defensive line. You have Richard Sherman in the secondary. And then you have Tart and Ward who played out of their minds. Um, and then you have, obviously, Kyle Shanahan's Kyle Shanahan. But he's like, that's not Jimmy's fault. And you can go back and watch this season and find four or five games that we won just because of him. 
He's like, he's like, he was basically, George Kittle basically said, you know, he won us both of those Arizona games. He uh, beat the Rams with a game-winning drive late in the season, and he went toe-to-toe with Drew Brees and beat that game. And he basically just started rattling off all the stuff that the 49ers would not have been able to co- been able to accomplish without Jimmy G. And so it was it was just impressive to watch him go back. And the, the last thought I put on my notes in regards to the George Kittle interview was, does it get any better than George Kittle? Like, could you ask for a better football player than that guy? Like, I'm just trying to think of a way in which that guy is not, like, the absolute through-and-through through golden football child. Like, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, the dude in, in every single way possible is, like, the absolute best you can ever ask for out of a football player. It's just crazy because, you, I, I you know, you watch him say all those things. And then, you you know, you put that together with the personality he's already showed. You put that together with the way he plays on the field, the way he blocks, the way he catches. And it's like, dude, like, what an absolute, like, like one of, like, one of the greatest draft picks, like, ever. Like, you know what I mean? Like, the dude is just unreal. Like, it's just hard not to be impressed by him on a consistent basis. You know what I mean? Yep. So it's just it was a cool interview, but you know it's like I said, I, my biggest takeaway was just how impressive George Kittle is, and you know the the shit he says and the shit he does. It's, it's pretty awesome to watch him evolve, and I'm really looking forward to the 49ers paying him a shit ton of money because I mean they don't get any more deserving than that guy. It's just crazy. So, all right, should we get to it? Let's do it. Okay, so I am on. February of 2017, that is when the 49ers hired Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch to their five, six-year contracts, whatever it was. I can't, I can't remember what, what exactly they were. Um, and obviously, I hired them together, and I can remember the reactions. Obviously, everybody was 189% yes to Kyle Shanahan. But John Lynch just completely came out of nowhere. Um, which was impressive for the fact that one of the biggest critiques of the 49ers up until that point was leaks and the inability to keep information private. And nobody had any idea that they were going to hire John Lynch, like, at all. I remember when I, remember I thought it come across the TV, and I was just like, John, like, what? Like, you know, it was, just, it, was, it was so out of left field that I was just like, John Lynch, but you know, there's some guys, right? Like there's this dude on TV and his name is Randy Moss. And I'm not talking about the receiver, Randy Moss, like some other guy, right? It's like a ball white guy, Randy Moss. So I'm thinking yeah. like, when I heard John Lynch's name, I'm like, is this a situation like that where it's like some random like guy <laughs> that just happens to have the same name as a uh, future Hall of Famer John Lynch? And no, it was TV or, you know, former Bronco Super Bowl champ, uh, TV uh, commentator, that John Lynch, and I was just like, wow. And I don't know what you're – I mean, I'm pretty sure you'll give me your initial reaction, but mine was just – that's very interesting. And I think the only thing that I didn't like, I guess, care for about it, um, if I'm being honest, was that I think at that time the 49ers were kind of viewed as a joke, and I thought that kind of piled on to the jokes. You know, adding somebody that's coming off of TV, never been in front office at all, um, just, you know, oh, let's go get him. And I, and I like it now, right? I mean, it was, it was different. It was forward thinking. Uh, you know, you see the Raiders end up doing something similar. Uh, but it was, at the time, it was very, uh, like, dang, people are going to continue to poke fun at the 49ers and, and just make a, a mockery of us. So that was kind of my initial thoughts, but obviously, you know. No, mine were the exact same because it, it's almost for the exact same reasons. Like at the time, the 49ers had been horrible. They fired, they were looked at as the team that fired Jim Harbaugh. They had, had you know, three straight years of just losing and, it you know, nothing was great. It wasn't really three straight years of losing. You had the year that it fell apart with Jim Harbaugh. Then you had one year with Jim Sonsula. Then you had one year with Chip Kelly. And it was nothing but losing, and there was nothing positive. And it kind of just, I mean, everybody kind of had it in their minds that the 49ers needed something solid, something proven, something, you know, something that made sense for the organization, something to just get them out of this crazy-ass funk of, you know, three head coaches in three years. And obviously they were going to need to completely rebuild a roster that had been trashed by Trent Baalke and 
So it was crazy. So you, you felt like they needed somebody who had a kind of a proven track record to come in and rebuild this up. And when they hired John Lynch, obviously I couldn't like talk shit on the move because I just didn't know like what John Lynch was capable of. I knew who he was, the football player. I knew who he was, the announcer. But there was no way to know how good he would be at general manager. The only thing I could critique was kind of like the decision. Um, and then the other thing I kind of fell back on was, you know, was Kyle Shanahan and, and you know, the, having a, a faith in that decision and the fact that Kyle Shanahan was on board and the, the, he kind of came, him and Jed kind of came to that decision together. So it, it was interesting. Um, I remember reading Matt Miller of a Bleacher Report, a little like synopsis of text that he'd gotten from other people in the NFL, basically saying this this shit was dumb as dumb as hell, like the dumbest shit ever. Like why the hell would they hire this guy? Um, which is funny considering, isn't that how you would think scouts scouts who have worked their ass off to get where they are would react to that kind of move? Right, correct. That's what I was gonna say. Like you know, these are guys. You know, they're front office people that are like. What the hell has this guy done? You know, we've been, you know, working our butts off, you know, for years to try to get in that type of, you know, position, working our way through the rankings. And then all of a sudden, you know, they they bring in this guy and, you know, uh, all of a sudden they just hand him the job, right? And I think one thing that it kind of taught me is if 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 you're a football guy, like, you know, you – You'll be all right, right? If you're smart, if you're intelligent, if you're logical, uh, you know, maybe if you think a little bit outside of, you know, how everybody else thinks, I think you'll be you, you you'll be fine. And not to say John Lynch thinks outside of other people, but I think that, you know, the way that they've kind of, you know, I know we're going to get into it, but the way they've kind of built the 49ers, um, they they felt like they wanted to do it a certain way, and they were going to stick to that plan. They weren't going to veer outside and do what other people felt like they should do. Um, so that, that not in aside from that, you know, just bringing in the other people, right? So I know people are making, well, that's a crazy move. Like, why would they do that? But he did, you know, John Lynch, he knows. He, he's smart. Hey, let me bring in some people that, that have done that at a high level as well. Let me bring in the Adam Peters and stuff. So, um, yeah, that's the kind of my thought process on the, you know, the people not, you know, the, the, the scouts and stuff maybe having an issue with it. Right, and it was, and, and like I said, there really wasn't any way to evaluate the move at the time because it was just so out of left field, and there was nothing to go off of. And obviously, the Kyle Shanahan hire made complete sense. It was the expected move. It had been, you know, leaked that if if everything goes as planned, the 49ers plan to hire Kyle Shanahan when he gets done with the Super Bowl, and you know, so all of that was expected and made sense. But there was just no way to to know what the John Lynch hire was going to mean until like right about now when you've had a few years to kind of judge someone's, you know, output and what they were able to create and what they were able to build, because that's such a high pressure position. It's, you know, you're looked at as, as 50% of the reason for a team's success or failures. You know, there's, there's the head coach and there's the GM and, and really everybody else in the background kind of just depends on them to do their job or, you know, at least depends on them to create that solidarity so that they can, you know, everybody gets to keep their job moving forward. So, now we're we're really for the first time at a point where we can fairly evaluate this roster and say have they done a good job and that's what we're going to do and obviously this this is kind of aimed towards both John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan because they do it together I don't think I don't really think there's any decision that John Lynch could make without Kyle Shanahan so Kyle Shanahan's approval and I'm sure that that kind of stuff's written into the contract they've alluded to it before you know and, and I'm sure it goes the other way for the most part too but before we get into kind of their there, and you know what they've actually done. We're going to get a quick word in here from Bet Online, our uh, our weekly sponsor here at the Blue Wire. And with with currently no NBA, no NHL, no Major League Baseball, you might think there's nothing to bet on, and I wouldn't blame you. It's crazy times, but you'd still be wrong. Our exclusive partner still has hundreds of sports, events, and games to wager on, or let them bring Vegas to you with their online casino and blackjack. Because you'd be crazy to take yourself to Vegas right now. You might as well let Vegas come to you. They're all open 24 hours a day, and they're all online, including their $750,000 poker series. If you're into props and entertainment betting, you can still bet on Survivor, Big Brother, American Idol, stock prices, and even the weather. 
Visit their website and join today to receive a 100% welcome bonus with your first deposit. What that means is whatever you put in as your first deposit, they're going to double it. That's legit. Be sure to use promo code BLUEWIRE. That's B-L-U-E-W-I-R-E. Bet online, your online wagering experts. So, John Lynch, Kyle Shanahan, 2017, they took over their very first organizations. Kyle Shanahan's first time as a head coach. John Lynch's first time in a front office, or excuse me, leading a front office. He did spend some time with Denver within their front office under John Elway to kind of just kind of cut his teeth. And this was their first time. And what's cool, and, and, and it's cool to look at this now, is if you go back and look at the transactions, their first signing as an organization was Kwan Williams. At the very least, that's the very first transaction they have on the thing. I can't remember if it was Earl Mitchell or Kwan Williams, but that's the first one on the on the on the transaction sheet. Which is, I mean, that's a pretty solid signing to start your tenure off with, don't you think, dude? No, nah, definitely. And uh, you know, that was a signing where you know that's still somebody that's around to this day. So I think that definitely would be uh, considered a win. A uh, really good signing, and it, I mean, dude, they re-signed them after what midway through that <laughs> that season. They're like, you know, let's lock this guy in for a few more years. So, uh, really good signing for your first signing. Right, yeah, and, it, and it, like you said, it's just a guy that's stuck around. He's considered one of the best nickel corners in the game. Uh, like, there's just very little, and you would be able to elaborate on this more than I would, but it, he just doesn't get mentioned a lot, which is a good thing for a corner. Like, obviously. He just doesn't get tested a lot, and he's a dog in the run game. Like he's just a really good all-around player, and, and I mean to to come in and just pick a guy off the market like that that ends up being like a you know a staple of your secondary. That's pretty legit. Like that's that's a pretty awesome way to start it out. And so that's you know if you're talking about like foreboding, that's a pretty solid way to forebode the rest of their tenure. And then obviously their next. A big time, I wouldn't say big time, but their next free agent signing was Earl Mitchell. I believe it's the last team he played with before the 49ers signed him was uh, the Dolphins. And he was just kind of a veteran guy to come along. And he started, you know, he was a consistent starter. And obviously they just brought him back just shortly before the Super Bowl to kind of shore things up, given they lost DJ Jones. Um, another move that I really, really agreed with at the time was they they signed Jeremy Curley to a three-year deal. And if you can remember, Jeremy Curley – and the year before that with Chip Kelly, and I'm pulling it up right now, he was, like, on fire. Like, the dude was just outstanding. And he's not really – he's not doing anything anymore. I mean, he his last year in the league was 2018, and he caught two passes for seven yards. But in that one year with the 49ers in 2016 under Chip Kelly, he caught 64 passes for 667 yards and three touchdowns. And he was basically like the only one of the only positive aspects of that offense. Like, you know, and he made a ton of, of great catches. So that, I mean, that just seems smart to me. And, you know, a lot of people were questioning how much, I don't know, loyalty they would have the guys who were already in the building when they got in there. Um, but, you know, I thought that was a pretty good move and, and the, the guy played really, really well. So, you know, it was just kind of demonstrating right off the bat they were willing to kind of, you know, extend some courtesies to people that were around before them. Now, we'll we'll hop over to, and, and I'll, I'll kind of list it, and it, it's still pretty impressive when you look at it. The, the very first, like, big free agent signing splash the 49ers made. Because remember, they had, it was John Lynch, Kyle Shanahan's first time signing players and they had that they had that huge table like like four tables all put together of all their free agents that they signed at once. You know they made a big thing out of it because you know it was a, it was a big deal. And this was in March when you know basically free agency started. But in basically all in one swoop, they signed Pierre Garcon, they signed Mike Marquise Goodwin, Robbie Gould, Brian Hoyer, Kyle Uschip, Logan Paulson, and Malcolm Smith, which is kind of crazy. Like I can't remember how much cap space the 49ers were working with in 2017, but I think it was something ridiculous. Like, dude, wasn't it like, like 50 or 60 million? Like it, I wish I remembered, like I want to, I, I, I obviously should have had this all figured out beforehand. I wonder if over the cap lets me go backwards in years. No, it really doesn't. It just has the tabs that go forward. 
But the 49ers just had a ridiculous amount of cap space. It, it was I, a lot. It, it was a lot that he took over. Which, I mean, yeah, I mean, uh, shoot, freaking uh, Trent Baalke, man, he wasn't – he didn't spend any money. No, he was approved in free I think agency. the last year he was there, I want to say the only free agent signing was Thad Lewis and <laughs> a punter. No, seriously. It's so like he knew he was – He definitely wasn't spending any money. Right. Right. Let me see. Couch face, 49ers, 2017. I just want to see if I can if I can get it quickly. Obviously, you're listening. I don't want you to just be sitting here punching the numbers. Um, but I found I found something here. Let me see. And it doesn't really say total cap space right here. It was the Niners Nation article. Um, but it was a lot. So the 49ers were basically uh, – they were kind of overpaying – for people, yeah, this this sub right here it, it projected 60 million in salary cap space. So, and that was from NBC Sports, and that was from 2017. So that's that is a ridiculous amount. Right now, the 49ers have like 14 or 15 million. So they were able to basically throw the book at all the guys that they wanted, and and it, it's just it's impressive to look at, you know, from a group. It's not that all of them worked out. But there was never – even though his tenure with the 49ers didn't work out, I was a huge fan of them signing Pierre Garçon. I love Pierre Garçon. I love everything about his game. You know, to me, that kind of goes to what you mentioned earlier, Croc, is you can look at this group and tell that they were signing a bunch of dudes that they were – you know, their production on the football field was one thing, but they were very, very focused on the – the attitude that they were going to bring to the building and the leadership that they were going to bring to the building. Cause Pierre Garcon was obviously a really good leader and the dude was an absolute animal in his first season. Like he got hurt, but I think he was on pace for 80 catches and a thousand yards when he got hurt. I want to say it was Which like right is, at 500 yeah. yards. And you know, you need, you need guys like that, right? Guys that had been in the, the this, this scheme. They've been, you know, coached under Kyle Shanahan uh, previously and they know what to expect. They're good pros. And really, they're just bridge guys. They kind of come in and kind of show some of the younger guys, hey, this is how, you know, we need to do things. Um, this is how you prepare. And, you know, who better to, than to get a guy like Pierre Garçon, who's, you know, he's all work and, you know, just do does what he has to do, all the dirty work. I, I think, you know, even more so than, you know, his production on the field, I think it was also, you know, what he brought to you know, the team and the, a young team, right, a, a team that was turning the page and really just trying to, you know, add some pieces to where the team would be competitive, and, and they were. Right, and, and it was it was really just a move. And you got to keep in mind, too, this is 2017. The 49ers are just attempting to build some form of a competent roster. They, you know, inherited basically – you know, nothing from Trent Baalke. So they had to bring in guys, and they had to bring in guys that were going to establish the locker room for everybody they drafted for the next couple of years. And it was it was important, you know, not just what these guys did on the field, but just what they were able to instill in everybody else that came behind him. And you can even see that in Marquise Goodwin, the type of personality he has. And Marquise Goodwin was interesting. You know, he's kind of fallen off, obviously, the past couple of years. But, you know, in 2017, the, the, the very first year, I mean, the dude – had 105 targets and he had 962 yards. Like the dude, it was crazy. I keep saying the dude, it was crazy because like I was pretty convinced that Marquise Goodwin like was on the precipice. Like he was on the edge of developing into like a legit number one receiver. Like the things I was seeing from him in that season and the things I was seeing from him during training camp, the following year, like the dude had just found a way to harness his insane speed. He started to develop his routes. His hands were getting better. I was like looking at him. I was like, dude, this guy is like right there. Like, you know, to becoming kind of like an Antonio Brown type of target where he could win in so many different ways. And obviously that didn't work out. I, I really can't pinpoint why. I mean, the guy had to endure some really, some tragedies at home. Um, his his wife suffered multiple miscarriages, and it was you know had it was a father just, I think passed away during the year. Right, so it was just rough, like you know, and and that stuff has an effect on players. And I, I can't say with any certainty whatsoever that that was the reason, you know, that he really only had that one good year with the Forty ers 
Um, you know, I, I, it, we'll we'll see if he's still around this this year. I mean, it doesn't seem like that's the case, but we'll see. And then obviously you got Robbie Gold, who's who developed into not developed. He's been around forever, but he's incredibly reliable. And he started the year off a little rough, but he 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 righted the ship there towards the end of this season, and he was super reliable for the 49ers down the stretch, and and you know had a couple wins under his belt as for as far as clutching him. So. And then you had Brian Hoyer. Brian Hoyer was another signing that, although it didn't work out, I was super, I was super into when they first brought him in because I knew he had a lot of experience with Kyle Shanahan. He had done well under Kyle Shanahan. He was a veteran guy, somebody that could just kind of bring along the group. And of course, no, he wasn't, you know, a superstar by any means. But it was just like you, like you said earlier, it was just about establishing that culture and getting guys in here that you know are going to buy in to the program and therefore are going to help the younger guys buy in as well. And and what's funny too, looking at this next name and Kyle Yuschek, like how much shit did we hear about his contract? Right, no, there wasn't a lot. They're paying the fullback twenty four million dollars, like that's crazy. And yeah, <laughs> we definitely heard a lot of that. And you know what's crazy? Um, people still talked about the signing up until he got hurt, and then you kind of really realize the impact of it. And I'm not saying like us, like me, I don't, I don't care. But, you know, there were other people that were like, you don't pay him and that. Then you see the impact of use check when he gets hurt and he's not out there. And it's like, oh, man. So then now when they picked up his uh, option for this upcoming season, did you even hear anything about it? I didn't hear anybody like, oh, my God, there they go paying him five more million dollars. Like, nope, I didn't I didn't hear anything about that. So um, <laughs> another good signing. <laughs> well, and he's – dude, he's just legit. Like, and the way he plays and the amount – of impact he has in all facets of the offense. And like, I would have like no problem if they just kept paying that guy, whatever they're paying him. I don't know if, I don't think really think the fullback market has shifted much. You know, I feel like if they were going to re-sign him or extend him, they would be able to do it at like kind of right around the same price. And Yushek really seems like somebody who would want to stay here. And like, it just shows that they, that, especially a contract like that. Like, obviously, they didn't have much of a choice. They had a ton of money, and they weren't exactly a desirable destination at that point. But it just showed early on a confidence in themselves, a confidence in John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan. They knew what they wanted to do. They knew what they were aiming for. They knew what they were trying to build, and they were just willing to go out and pay what they needed to do to get it. And it would just be silly for anybody to look back on a signing like Kyle Juszczyk at this point and have any questions about it whatsoever. Like the dude has proven his worth over and over again, in my opinion. And that goes beyond the football field. He just seems like a genuinely good guy. He seems like a leader. He obviously has his, his fingerprints all over the offense and Kyle Shanahan's just been able to take him away, take, or, you know, take advantage of him in so many different ways. And he threw Minka Fitzpatrick like a rag doll and like, <laughs> like if somebody can do that, then they deserve that contract, and that's it. Sellers. I think it. the I think the most impressive thing I've seen from Juice so far is running a fade route. Like he just ran a go route from the slot and catching it and running. Like you just like that was against the Seahawks, right? It was like oh, right. kinda, Seahawks are kind of making a push. Like we're not just need a big play. And next thing you know, Garoppolo just delivers a beautiful uh, go route to him, dropped it right in there, him in stride, but. Just for him to like release off the line like he's a receiver and just beat the linebacker vertically, I was like, man, that's that was pretty impressive. <laughs> well, he had that other that that seam route where it basically a go from the inside and and he I think it was was it against the Steelers where he had that diving catch and he caught like a fingertip catch and the safety came in and kind of he didn't end up hitting him in the head like the ref thought he did because he drew a flag, um, but the safety came flying in right after yeah. he caught it right after he tucked it in like. He just pulls off some plays that are pretty impressive for an offensive weapon. You know, I guess you don't want to call him a fullback. But anyways, moving on, the big kind of – what's the best way to say this? I guess the big evaluation point for somebody like John Lynch would be his very first draft class. And when we look at this, we can kind of look at it under the context of we already know how he did in 2018 and we kind of know how he did in 2019 – but 2017 was freaking rough. And and it was not at the time at the time it was very well received. 
John Lynch's first draft class was very, very well received for the most part. Um, but we look back at it now, and it's it's pretty rough as far as what kind of stuck around. So if you don't remember, the 49ers had the second overall pick. They traded back one spot with the Bears, and they took Solomon Thomas. And then their second first-round pick, they traded into the first round to get Reuben Foster. <laughs> and we can look at that now. At the time, everybody was like, oh, my gosh, John Lynch just drafted Solomon Thomas and Reuben Foster. This guy is the GOAT of general managers in his first – like, you know, everybody was totally all about it. And it's hard to necessarily – and this happens all the time to general managers – but it's hard to necessarily blame John Lynch for those two picks not working out. Now, to pat myself on the back in a way that I wouldn't really take take pride in, I was never aboard the Solomon Thomas stuff. He was getting all kinds of mocks to the 49ers, and I was never all about it at all whatsoever. I just didn't think the 49ers needed another defensive lineman. I didn't think Solomon Thomas was that good. I didn't think he was a fit. Is that why he hasn't worked out? I really don't know. Because in the same way we were talking about Marquise Goodwin, um, Solomon Thomas' uh, sister, and he's in a family of four, his younger sister, I think she was in her early 20s, killed herself, committed suicide. And I just can't even imagine, you know, like I said, a very small family of four, I can't even imagine what that does, you know, to a person, to the parents, to the family as a whole. And is, is that the reason Solomon Thomas hasn't worked out? I really don't know. Maybe it's inappropriate to even speculate on, you know, but I do know that that will have an effect on you as a person. And hopefully he's been able to put that behind him. I mean, it's just truly heartbreaking. I can't imagine what it would be like to go through that. But obviously that's what happened on that side. And then with Reuben Foster, everybody knows what happened. I mean, it kind of just fell apart with all the domestic violence, violence accusations and at one point, it seemed like Foster wasn't guilty. Then at the next point, he's flying that same girl out to the team hotel in Florida and then getting into a fight with her again. And so at that point, it seems like he's super guilty. And so it was just a mess. Like those two picks just ended up not working out. Now now that DeForest Buckner's gone, maybe Solomon Thomas has a chance to step in and really have like kind of an impact that, you know, one last chance to really prove his worth uh, for the 49ers. I don't know. But – you have Solomon Thomas, Reuben Foster. Then in the, in the third round, they drafted Akella Witherspoon, C.J. Beathard, quarterback C.J. Beathard, running back Joe Williams. And then you have, in the fifth round, Iowa tight end George freaking Kittle, which is basically the, the bright and shining gem of this whole draft class. You could erase every other name on this list and just leave that one, and nobody, like, everybody's like, okay, you did good. You know what I mean? Like, it's just such an epic draft pick. And then after that, you had Trent Taylor, who is still kind of floating somewhere in the, in the ideas of that he could work out. Obviously, Crocker got to be there with me at training camp, where we saw how good Trent Taylor was. So, you know, I'm still kind of holding out hope that he can kind of find his way back in there. DJ Jones in the sixth round was a great pick. He's in line to kind of be – he's still recovering from injury, but he's in line to be a starter next year. And he might he might be stepping right in in place of DeForest Buckner. We'll see. And we have uh, Pita Talmoy-Penyu. And lastly, in the seventh round, safety Adrian Colbert, which, you know, obviously he's not still with the team, but he is a bona fide starter now in Miami. They just paid him a one-year – uh, I think over two million. Um, I can't can't remember what the number was, but you know he's he's they they pay him to be their starter. So you know, and finding somebody that can start in this league in the seventh round is rare. So even though he's not with the team anymore, and that's just kind of how things worked out. Uh, you know, it's it's still a pretty good prick, pretty good signing. Crocs, what are your what are your what are your thoughts? What are your takes? What are your what are your feelings on that draft class? Uh, I think overall, I mean, I think there was there was definitely talent there, man. But you know, for whatever reason, some of the guys just didn't work out. You know, Ruben Foster, and this is the thing I think some some people look look at misses, and they'll put it on you know the front office. But ultimately, man, like Ruben Foster had all the talent, right? It was off the field things, and I mean, those are the reasons why he failed. But you know, again, I've talked about how this 49ers um front office has been very aggressive and that was an aggressive move to to get a guy who 
um, maybe has some, you know, uh, red flags and you still go after him because he's a talent and it just didn't work out. And we saw the talent on the field uh, when he was healthy. We saw the talent, um, but it just didn't work out. You know, with Solomon Thomas, I, I never liked him. I, I mean, I never liked the pick. Um, the only way, reason why I even was a little bit more optimistic or positive about the pick was because it was paired with Ruben Foster. So I was like, okay, like, not bad. And then you go, um, they had traded uh, the, the pick to the Saints, and then they drafted a killer Witherspoon, who I was really happy about that because I was really high on him coming out. And, you know, the second thing with him, it's, it's I don't want to say sad, but his players just been really up and down, man. And, and um, you know, I've kind of defended him at different points where it's like, you know, I see the talent. And, again, when, when, you're, when you're talking about the draft picks and – you know, they've drafted talented guys, but for whatever reasons, you know, things didn't work out one way or another. And that's the case with Witherspoon where, you know, obviously he's still on the team, but you know, I don't think any of us are kind of, you know, banking on them, resigning him, you know, when his contract is up. So, you know, that's a that's a loss right there. And then uh, obviously Beathard, I mean, you know, he's still on the team, but majority of people are wondering why. <laughs> and then... <laughs> And, and and then, you know, like, you know, Trent Taylor, whereas, like, again, talented, very talented. You touched on it. We were there. We saw him live. Was best receiver in training camp, but hasn't been able to stay healthy. And when he's not healthy, he's not himself. So, you know, I think, you know, a, a lot of that draft class, there definitely was talent, but, you know, there are just a lot of things that you can't foresee happening. And with Ruben Foster, maybe you could have. But, you know, Witherspoon's inconsistencies, Trent Taylor's injuries, um, Adrian Colbert, whatever the hell happened with him, um, you know, those things, I guess it's just part of football and it's a part of a team. And you'll you'll have some hits and you'll have some misses and you just keep swinging. And they've, they've kept swinging. I'm, I know we'll get to those ones in the upcoming weeks. But that class, man, it sucks, man. It was it, – it was, there was a lot of talent there that I thought that they had and I thought – each guy, for the most part, except for Solomon Thomas, probably, you saw a lot of upside. You saw a lot of moments where it's like, ah, I see why they really like this guy. And a lot of them contributed to the 49ers' five wins down the stretch. Um, you know, I, I think all of them, right? I mean, Witherspoon was starting, uh, Trent Taylor, um, Adrian Colbert, obviously George Kittle. I mean, they had so many young guys playing and contributing to those five wins that you just thought, oh, these guys are going to be around for years to come. And for different reasons, man, it just hasn't been that way. Well, and, and the thing with Trent Taylor, and it goes beyond Trent Taylor, the thing you said that I really liked there was that sometimes it just doesn't work out. And sometimes luck isn't on your side. And being a general manager is an imperfect business. You know, like it's almost like a, a baseball player as far as at the plate. You're considered like you're a Hall of Fame worthy batter if you – hit the ball one-third of the time. Like, failure is just a part of the business. And that was just a great example to me about, you know, in one way where you fail in baseball at, at the plate, if you fail two-thirds of the time, you're considered an amazing batter. You know, if you hit the ball one-third of the time and you have a .333 batting average, you're like, dude, this guy is on fire. You know, and that's just kind of the same way it is being a general manager. If they, that basically it goes, and you can you can read up on it. If if a general manager hits on one third of his picks, and I would say hits, meaning the player sticks around and has a pot of his positive impact, and you know with somebody that you resign or is resigned by another team to us, you know that just kind of earns his place in the league. If you hit on those like one third of the time, you're considered a good general manager, right. and that's that's you know, and you have to look at this job under that lens. Because you just can't expend, expect every pick to work out. And so what that means is you can't sit on Twitter and just ridicule every pick that doesn't work out and then never mention the ones that did. You know, because it's just a job where things aren't going to work out. What sucks about somebody like Trent Taylor is, like, when you go back and look at his college stats, as a freshman, he played 10 games. As a sophomore, sophomore he played 14 games. As a junior, he played 13 games. As a senior, he played 14 games. His senior year, 
He had 136 catches, 1,800 yards, and 12 touchdowns. Like, the dude was an absolute stud in college. And when they drafted him, I was like, hell yes. Freaking Trent Taylor, let's go. Because I just, I think the year before that is when Balky drafted Jeff Driscoll, I believe. Yeah. And and Jeff Driscoll was Trent Taylor's quarterback. So I'd already gone back and watched a little bit of Dr- Dr- Jeff Driscoll and just kept seeing Trent Taylor. I was like, dude, what the hell, man? Like, this guy is freaking everywhere. And they drafted him, and he came in and had the same impact. And obviously he was able to step in as a rookie and have a good role, and he's been hurt and dealing with injuries. But we saw in training camp the guy is just a legit stud. He just is hurt, and he's not, and he hasn't shown any signs of being injury-prone in the past. So it's like, you know, what, what can you do as a general manager to avoid that? Obviously maybe not draft a dude that's five foot eight, but at the same time he's proven that he can play. He's proven that he can have an impact. It's just just have him work out. Now, obviously that draft class as a whole is pretty much in the tank. Other than, you know, we'll see about Trent Taylor. DJ Jones has worked out really well. Adrian Colbert's worked out pretty well for a different team. George Kittle is obviously a, a Tom Brady type of draft pick, like, you know, that walks around with that 199 shirt all the time or whatever. Kind of like that, you know, getting an elite – could be the best tight end in the NFL type pick in the fifth round is just absurd. Um, but where they did make up some ground is in the freaking undrafted free agent pool. Because within that group of undrafted free agents, they found Kendrick Bourne and Matt Breida, which, and, and you know, as along with Nick Mullins, you know, and there's just, just getting three players like that, that, that are undrafted free agents that can just step in and – prove to be legitimate NFL caliber starters, that's hard to do, especially when you take into account what signing undrafted free agents is like. Once that draft is over and it's it's already started on day three, once those teams have an idea of what players aren't going to get drafted, there's just a room full of dudes on the phone calling these guys up, say, look, this is so-and-so from the San Francisco 49ers. We want you here. Here's your contract. Sign it. Come here. You know, and, they, and one player, I'm assuming, might have 10 different teams calling them. So sometimes you get in bidding wars to sign these guys, and you might have to pay them more than you're comfortable with, you know, as far as undrafted free agents goes. and It's just crazy. But to me, to come away with, uh, you know, Kendrick Bourne, Matt Breida, and Nick Mullins is nuts. Like, that's that's really, really solid stuff. And even, even Victor Bolden, he made the roster and showed some, some promise. I mean, obviously that didn't work out, but – you know that that to me is is um is a pretty impressive little come up right there for a crop of undrafted free agents. No, definitely, definitely, and you know you you have to hit on some of those guys. I know people point at to, you know point to the draft picks and talk about like you know some of the misses from the first year, but you you have to include you know the undrafted guys because that's that's part of the rookie class. Um, when I was with the New York Jets in 2013, uh, you know. I wasn't drafted, but I was part of the rookie class. Uh, Rontez Miles, uh, he's still there. You know, seven, eight years later, like, Rontez is still there. He's part of that rookie class. He might be, no, Brian Winters is there too. Um, but him with Brian Winters, those are the only guys that are still currently on the Jets from that from that class. And, and Rontez, Rontez, he's part of that 2013 class. So, you know, people want to discredit, um, you know, you know the, the, the Bourne and, and Nick Mullins and guys like that. Um, and not include them in draft picks, but they're part of that rookie class. And if you're getting production from them, it doesn't matter, you know, when or whatever, right? And I think uh, what, uh, uh, Matt Breda too, right? Yep. Yeah, you know, is you're getting production from these guys, man. They are part of that rookie class no matter where you got them. Because I tell you this, once you're in that building, it doesn't matter where you're drafted. Now you got you to gotta, you gotta produce and, and you got to make plays. Obviously, you want your higher-end guys to hit because you've invested more. You've invested, you know, a higher pick, uh, more money. But at the end of the day, once you're in that, once 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 you're there, doesn't matter where you're drafted. We're all here, you know. And and at, at that point, you just got to produce. And, and they've done very well with the undrafted guys. Even getting guys, I mean, you know, we remember guys like Lorenzo Jerome, who you know a lot of people liked, and he started a couple of games at safety. Eventually, was released, but. 
um, you know, they've 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 swung and they've they've gotten some production out of a lot of these uh, lower end guys, man. Yeah, and even even Eric Magnuson was a part of that group, and and he's on the Raiders now, I believe. But you know, that was an O lineman that stepped in and was able to you know start, and and it's just stuff like that that you aren't necessarily normally expecting from an undrafted free agent class. But those guys are presented with unique opportunities on a roster that was in complete flux. And they were able to work, really kind of step into an open competition for every roster spot and make the most of it. And, you know, I would say if the 49ers, you know, obviously they tendered them. They both got second-round tenders. But if the 49ers just cut ways with Kendrick Bourne and Matt Breida, I think they both will get signed to pretty significant contracts. Now, I'm not talking about, you know, big money or anything like that. But both of them would get would get paid just off of what they've shown with the 49ers. And, and that's, you know, that's impressive stuff. And that's the stuff you have to do. To, to build a roster to to create you don't you don't get to the Super Bowl in year three without making stuff like that happen you know I uh, there's less than a there's like less than ten players from Trent Balky's roster left on this team I think it might be like six or seven you know with Buckner gone it, it's probably even less than that so you know this this roster that you saw this year go to the Super Bowl is almost one hundred percent the creation of Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch. And that is really freaking impressive. And, you know, obviously in this first year, they had, they took some bumps, they took some bruises. They, you know, they missed on some picks and, and that's just the way it goes. But if you can, if you can for every Solomon Thomas, and like, I don't, I don't mean that in any disrespect, you know, it just hasn't worked out, but for every Solomon Thomas or for every Reuben Foster, if there's a George Kittle in that same draft class, no one's going to care about what happened in that first round because if you're finding if you're making picks like that then you'll always have your job because you obviously well, people, you they do stupid stuff like oh, they don't know how to draft high picks like shut up McGlinchey's been fine um you know obviously it looks like Nick Bosa is amazing I mean I know he was number two overall pick but I mean they've, they've you know Debo's fine like they've they've done well I mean but again there's it's no perfect science to draft here man so you, you, you're gonna miss some guys too well, yeah, it's just like I said. It's just one third. Think of it this way: if two thirds of that draft class goes away, and the the one third that's left turns out to be decent, a GM is doing his job. So, and those misses are going to come in all forms, whether it's early round picks, late round picks, wherever you got it. Like it's you know they're they're not immune to it. And we'll get into the 2018s and the 2019s, but. Overall, it was, you know, looking back at 2017, and there's a couple little things we haven't quite gotten into in 2017. Uh, they claimed Sheldon Day off waivers from Jacksonville, which turned out to be a great move. Sheldon Day had, a, you know, and he just got re-signed to a one-year deal by the, Col- the Colts. They claimed Cassius Mars off waivers from New England, and both of those guys, they weren't obviously big, big impact guys, but Sheldon Day made his share of plays, Cassius Mars made his share of plays, and his share of round, roundhouse kicks. And all that stuff. So, you know, it's it's just interesting to go back and look at this year in the context of what they've become now. And you can kind of just see what they were doing and what they were going for. And, you know, it, it's just – it's impressive. And, and like I said, it's it's obviously not without its misses. You know, they signed a running back like Tim Hightower, which he did, obviously didn't stick around very long. But it was just a veteran guy that was able to come in there and say, this is the way the NFL is supposed to be played. And – I think that that has a huge impact on the roster as it is now. You have to have those veteran guys that are just going to right the ship and show everybody else how it should be done. Whether they end up sticking around or having a huge impact on the field is kind of irrelevant if they're steering your team in the right direction for the future. So not bad all in all. I mean, there's no really need for grades or anything like that. I just feel like it was definitely – a decent year for a bunch of first timers, right? You know what I mean, and a, a, a decent year for guys who were doing this for the first time. And I feel like, knowing, looking at that year, I feel like they've only gotten better at what they're doing. And then when it comes to the players they're signing and the people they're drafting, I feel like and the guys know, that they got rid of like right away, right? And that's one thing too. I think that they've been willing to get rid of some guys. Um, you know, even. I liked Rashard Robinson, man. I thought he could play, but clearly he wasn't a fit. Traded for the Jets. You know? Um, yep. So, you know, they're willing to, you know. And, and, again, I mean, the aggressive nature of them, you know, with the Garoppolo trade and some of these moves, I mean, they, should, they got a draft pick for uh, Rashard Robinson. I think they got a fifth. 
they've been very aggressive and they've been willing to do whatever it takes to build this team the right way, man. It started with that year one, kind of establish a culture and establish, a, you know, I know a culture is kind of thrown out there a lot, but just kind of the way that they want to build this team. And I feel like they've stuck with that through thick and thin, no matter what, no matter how they were going to look, no matter if they end up looking stupid, you know, with the Ruben Foster thing or, you know, whatever the case is, they, you know, or, I mean, cutting Navarro Bowman, you know. Yeah, they, I, was, I was just going to say that. Yeah. We, there was no way we could leave that out. I mean, it's like, wow, right? I mean, that was a guy, you know, beloved by the entire 49er fan base. And, you know, it's like, you're not buying in? <laughs> All right, bye. <laughs> you know, that takes big stones to do that, man. And, uh, you know, other people would have been uh, a little afraid to make a move like that and let that negativity filter throughout the locker room, maybe split the locker room. And they didn't. They nipped it in the bud early. So, man, um, that first year definitely took some lumps. Was very competitive. Was very competitive. You know, yeah, 49ers won six games that year. There was another five games that they lost in a row by a combined 12 or 13 points, which was amazing. Um, So it was a very competitive team at the very least. But you could see that they were trying to turn that corner. Well, they went out, they went right out there and had that game against the Rams. That was that super high-scoring game where they kind of lost because of a bullshit call on on Trent Taylor. They were driving down the field and I think they were going to get within an easy field goal range. And at the time, Robbie Gould was like a lock. He was making everything. And uh, they called an offensive pass interference on Trent Taylor. Do you remember that? Yep. He yep. ran. He ran uh, like an out route. I think that was shoot. We would hit. Right. End up winning the game. But yeah. Yep. I remember on the left side in the slot. Right, and I'm like, I'm like, you really just call offensive pass interference on a five foot eight white receiver? Like, what are you thinking? <laughs> like, like, what are you thinking, man? But it was, um, but yeah. So, they, like you said, man, they were competitive right out the gate, and and the biggest thing that they showed me in that year, and especially, and I'll talk about this again again next week, is like they were losing games, but you never saw even the slightest hint of negativity from that team, and you never saw anybody throw anybody under the bus or, or, or in any way, shape, or form, and that's rare for a team that is losing. Like, did, did have we ever even seen the 49ers, like, yell and argue on the sideline? <laughs> Not that I can recall. No, never. And, and, you know, the cameras are always looking for that type of stuff. I can't think of a play. Right, and it's like for a team that has lost a lot of games over the past, not obviously not last year, but the past two years before that, and, and in 2017, like you would expect to see some sort of like, you know, upheaval or some 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 sort of resentment, but that just is just shout out to the culture that John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan built from day one, and w- the way they wanted that locker room to behave and getting guys that were going to buy into what Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch wanted. And if that was their goal, and I know they talked about it so often, was just get guys that could buy in, get guys that, that, that understand what we're doing here. If that was their goal, then they succeeded without question. You know, obviously they missed on some picks and not all of their free agent signings worked out. But if it, if it was establishing a culture and establishing a way of doing things, doing things and establishing yourself as a first-time head coach and a first-time general manager, then – then there's really no question that they succeeded at that. You know, at the very least, they succeeded at, at showing, that, you know, showing the players what they wanted to do. Otherwise, you would not have gotten to where they are now. You know, that's just – it's hard to explain how rare something like what the 49ers just pulled off is to, to completely rebuild your entire staff and completely rebuild your entire roster and then be in the Super Bowl in three years. That's pretty absurd. You know, so I'm you know now that we've talked about this today, I'm actually looking forward to, to next week and the week after and just breaking this all down because it's cool to go back and look at the moves they made and how they panned out and stuff like that. You got anything else you want to throw in here, Croc? No, I'm good there. Yeah, looking forward to uh, next week. Yeah, and uh, I, I think let me let me actually look while I'm on the while I'm on the the horn with you guys. So we we're recording today, and then seventh, fourteenth. Okay, so we'll have three more podcasts after today before the NFL draft. Um, which is cool because we'll get to do 2018, 2019, and then what I, I mean, unless, unless you got any other ideas, man, we'll open it up for like some mailbags, maybe like right before the draft, you know, maybe we'll see what's different by that time, see what you guys are feeling, get some questions and talk it off. And then 
you know, then the next podcast after that will be reacting to the 2020 draft class of the San Francisco 49ers, which should be interesting. But that's it for us for today. I hope you guys enjoyed this week's episode. Thank you for hanging. If you're still with us, thank you for hanging around this long. Um, as always, I appreciate you. Thank you very, very much for being here. Uh, I really, really enjoy doing this with Croc, and I'm glad you guys have been enjoying the pod. Um, this week we had more than a few people hit us up on Twitter with random little questions and thoughts from the episode. So if you're hearing this, hit us up on Twitter. You can find me at Rob underscore Louder. That's L-O-W-D-E-R. And then you can find Crocker at Eric underscore Crocker. And, you know, hit us up. Let us know what you thought. Give us your thoughts on, uh, you know, questions, whatever you got. As always, make sure you're washing your hands. Make sure you're staying at home. If you're listening to this and you still don't take any of this seriously, pull your head out of your ass. Um, People are dying, so stay at home. Be safe. Do the right thing. Don't be like those spring break morons that brought back like 30 cases of coronavirus. Freaking idiots. (laughs) So anyways, that's, that's all I got for you. Um, I appreciate you guys. Thanks for listening. This is another episode of Striking Gold. Signing out. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.